We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Podcast 1819 season review. You've got myself, Alex Hurst, Rob Clothier, Ben Wade, and Norman Riley to talk through the season that was. Seems like it's uh, flashed say, you know, before was, our eyes, and uh, we're going to get right into the nitty gritty. Was it a good season? How did it go? Yeah. Where did it turn? Who played well? Who played not so well? What were the big games? All of that to get our teeth into today. For you listeners, uh, really quickly, we are supported by fans, but the unique gambling company who give half of their net profits back to good fan causes. So if you do like a gamble on the football or any other sport, please check them out. Uh, We're also ably sponsored by our fantastic patrons. Got a few hundred of them who pay about £6.80 a month for about 20 to 30 extra podcasts. We're still continuing to produce content on Patreon throughout the summer. We're sending Norman across to South America to make a documentary on Newcastle's South American players and produce podcasts. We're also quite potentially sending Rob across to China to cover it. So come on, get involved. You know, give her a try on Patreon. We've got loads of content coming up. But without further ado, lads, Newcastle United season 1819. We've got a bit of a loose, uh, a loose running order to get through today. Um, and I, I think I'll I'll start it off. Um, but I'll tell you what, we'll go to Norman then. Norman, we had a really difficult start of the season. And Cardiff City away was a, a fixture that you wanted to, to highlight in particular. So what did, what did Cardiff away signify to you for Newcastle's start of the eighteen nineteen season? Well, Alex, um, to be honest with you, I actually wanted to highlight Cardiff at home. But I'll also talk about Cardiff <laughs> away because that was uh, vitally important. Um, the, Cardiff away, I think, you know, we'd, we'd had uh, a fairly decent performance against Spurs. Um, on the opening game of the season, given that all of the usual factors that ensure Newcastle United start off a season under Mike Ashley with a load of uncertainty and with kind of everything working against them, given given all of that, um, we performed very well, I thought, against Spurs. And I think, you know, we could have easily um, come away with a point, but we didn't. Um, but there were good signs. I thought, um, you know, Kennedy looked really good. Um, the, the players looked like the, the, there was a bit of confidence in there, um, despite the fact that, you know, Lejeune was missing. Rondon clearly joined late and wasn't, wasn't fit. Um, Gale had gone, so, you know, Shelby wasn't in a position where, you know, he built up that relationship with Gale the season before. He kind of, he could just pick out Gale. He could anticipate, understand Gale's movement. That option wasn't there. So I was very worried going into the Spurs match, and especially given the World Cup that England had as well, and the the, the, Spurs, the, the Spurs players are in that England squad, I thought we we're going to get a hiding, um, and we didn't. So I went down to Cardiff full of full of good spirits, and um, 
obviously the Cardiff game, you know, it, it was a, a very protracted game between two sides who were desperate not to get beat as opposed to win. But we, we had that brilliant opportunity um, at the end with that injury time penalty. And for some reason, Kennedy stepped up to take it. Um, and I think I did the match day podcast and I was like, he'll score, he'll definitely score. But deep down, his body language suggested that he was a bit fearful. And obviously the penalty itself was pitiful. And um, he, in my opinion, never really recovered from that penalty miss. Psychologically, he looked absolutely beaten pretty much any time he played subsequent to that match. And obviously, not winning that match away against Cardiff. And then given that, you know, ultimately five of our um, first 10 games were against five sides who finished in the top six. We were really desperate for a win. And that that desperation, the more desperate you come, the less likely you are, it seems to win. And I think the not getting the three points at Cardiff had a, had a huge impact on, on the whole squad psychologically. I, I feel that if we got the three points in that game, I think we'd have been looking at different matches against Crystal Palace, Leicester perhaps at home. Um, and I think we may have come out of that period with four or five more points on the board. Um, there are all that Obviously, other factors as well, um, get, you know, that that I believe contributed to the to the slow start. I don't know if you want me to go into those right now, but I'm perfectly happy to do so. Yeah, well, first of all, sorry for, for putting Cardiff away on you. That's a lack of plan on my part when you said you wanted to take Cardiff. Um, but you're spot on in everything you say, and I, I do want you to go into those details, maybe not straight away, though, because I, I totally agree with you that Rafa's teams at Newcastle, from what we've seen, are entirely confidence-based, and I reckon... You know, the, the C word that Rafa uses the most through the season isn't what he probably uses to describe the people who work above him. But confidence, confidence, confidence. He's always talking about confidence. And, like, it seems it seems quite strange to me sitting in this room with you lads to think that these players who are, like, really good at football, you know, comparatively they might not be as good as other teams in the league, but they've managed to, you know, build this career to this point that, that confidence, that something as simple as missing a penalty and not winning a game can have such a detrimental effect on the team and and it was looking really bad for a while and Norman I'll come back to you on the start of the season I, I want to come back to Ben first though start of the season and, and Rob's very kindly um, printed the fixtures off here for us to look back on from NUFC.com of course uh, a great resource for Newcastle United fans um, you know we didn't win for what was it 11 games 11 games Looking through those games, though, and, and I want to ask you about the context of the, the rest of the season, is it just one of those where, as Norman rightly says, when, you, when you're facing five of the top six in your first eight games, whatever it is, is there actually only so much you can do? Or looking back at those games, do you think, you know what, if we'd had a little bit of luck, not some terrible refereeing decisions, and I'm thinking of Brighton at home when Mariner gives them a non-existent corner, they have one shot and score. I'm thinking of Man United, Anthony Taylor at 2-0, handball. You know, I'm thinking of Tottenham at home. We hit the, the 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 post and the crossbar and all that kind of stuff. What what did you sum up our start of the season as bad luck, or or we're just not we were just a bad team? Because remember, I think a lot of people, despite what happened in the summer, saw our red hot finish to the previous season and were thinking more of the same here, and we'll be absolutely fine. Yeah, it's a difficult one, wasn't it? I mean, it, it was the, by far and away the toughest start, wasn't it? Um... But I, I still feel like we, we gave a really good account of ourselves. It's strange to think that one point out of the first um, six games. Well, well it was so bad, so bad that, when you like, say that. Yeah, but like... it's, it was, and, and that was a, a, a draw at Cardiff, who you could argue was probably our worst game in that, that period in terms of performances. Cardiff could have nicked something 
more, well, could have could have taken all three points. Obviously, we missed that pen that Norman's gone into there, but um, the performances against Spurs and Chelsea in particular. I mean, especially Chelsea. Obviously, we went back, uh, went behind, we, we came back to get level, and we were in the ascendancy at that point. I mean, Hoss, Big Hoss. exactly. That's it. It's a great header. He, he, he had a not a bad start of the season. He chipped in with a few goals, and I think that was where we were all expecting Rondon to come straight in and just be. Be. I, I know it's not Rafa's way normally, but given that we know what Hossley was capable of, I think that was probably one of the biggest disappointments was that we didn't see more of Rondon at that point. Obviously, that probably paid um, fruition later on in the season with how well he's, he's finished. But um, that was a, a real disappointment. But within within that, we, we, we had some really good performances and we showed a lot of fight and there was a lot of adversity against the team. Obviously, we hadn't had all the, um, all the, the sort of investment that I'm sure Rafa was expecting that we were probably expecting. Um, and I just think that that knowing what we had that that um, the bad luck with the, the fixtures, we 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 actually did really well. We just didn't get the the, the points that we deserved from it. Um, but I feel like that would have done the team a lot of good in terms of strengthening them psychologically. Having gone through those games and been so close, they probably probably would have given them a lot of confidence. It's interesting you're talking about Kennedy, who obviously went the other way, but I think there's a lot of players in there. Um, that will have taken a lot out of how that we weren't that far off those teams. And I think that probably gave us a bit of confidence when we went to play the teams in the division that we, we've we already matched, the, they've sort of played the hardest games of the season and we've matched them um, without getting the, the sort of results that we probably deserved out of them. Yeah, Norman, I haven't heard that from Ben. Just interesting to get your thoughts on how we played at the start of the season. How much was it luck v kind of performances and, and what, what you know you, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about the the reasons for that and let's 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 call it what it was it was an utterly disastrous start I mean I'm looking at the the fixtures here and we go to Crystal Palace um on the 22nd of September and it's nils each in one of the worst games I've ever seen in, in my entire life and, and as Newcastle fans we've seen a few bad ones yeah true faith big day out as it was and then you know, when you're at um, Southampton, mate, on, on the 27th of October, the 27th of October, um, we only pick up our third point of the season. What, what, what are your thoughts on that start, Norman? What, like, how did we get to this point after being so enthused at the end of the previous season? I, I, you know, I agree with a couple of things that Ben said. You know, I mean, luck does to a certain extent play a part, but let's, you have to look at the bigger picture, and, and it starts basically um, in June. Uh, Rafa not getting every penny generated as promised. So first off, yeah, you know, these plans are made at the end of the follow uh, the previous season. Players in mind to buy. This is what I'm going to have to spend. This is what I'm going to do. And then that's pulled away from him. He has to start his plans all over again. Not only does that, you know, to a certain extent mean starting from scratch, it also immediately generates a feeling of there's a lack of trust there straight away. The plans have been, you know, trashed and he's had to go and move on to a new a new set of plans so close to the start of the season. Um, you know, the, I don't know what kind of spirit it must engender when your boss is pretty much just lying to you permanently, which is what um, Ash Mike actually did to Rafa Benitez. So there's that. Um, there's the absolute carry-on of the Salomon Rondon deal. Rafa clearly indicated that he wanted Rondon early on. It dragged on, it dragged on, it dragged on. Charney came out and um, said that basically he didn't want to sign him, more or less. Um, Rondon eventually arrives. He arrives unfit. He hasn't had a pre-season. Um, you know, how, how do you... How do you kind of plan tactically for how you're going to start the season when you, you know, you're looking at, you're playing friendlies with players who are either moving on, aren't in your plans, or haven't even arrived. What, 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 what do you do with that? 
you know, Rafa's basically trying to get in a pre-season planning schedule within a week before the Spurs game. Um, and as I say, Rondon arrives in. Now, I'll put these five names here, right? So let's look at this. Rondon, Lejeune, Shelby. Uh, sorry, Rondon, Lejeune, Perez, Shea and Almiron. Probably five of our, five of our most important players um, when we went on that really good run in, in the new year. Now, we look at the start of the season. Rondon, in the first 10 games, played 212 minutes of football and he was unfit for those. Um, Perez played in every single game he started nine of them um, he was a sub in one but he was taken off six times and he's dropped at home for the Watford game Shea started one of those matches Almiron wasn't there now let's look at Almiron we were linked with Almiron last summer that's a deal that could have been done last summer so we start the season with a full pre-season with Almiron fit Lejeune fit Rondon and fit Perez you know and, and perhaps I mean Shea's a different one it just took him a while to settle in but you're probably looking at seven or eight more points on those, those first games that we started so I really think that the the fact that the summer was another summer that went completely and utterly wrong and not according to, to the plan that Rafa probably had in his mind, you know, the day after the Chelsea game seventeen eighteen, that had a huge impact on how, how we started the season. And um, you know, you can you can look at um let's say the, the ten games the ten games at the start of the season where I think we picked up two or three points. And then the 10 games after um, Almiron's debut, when everyone was firing all cylinders, we picked up 15 points. Uh, sorry, 16 points. It, the, the, the difference is huge. It's just planning, getting people in when you want them, and, um, you know, and, and, move, and moving forward with optimism. And that just was not the case at the start of the 18-19 season. And I'll lay the blame squarely at the doors of the people above Rafa for that. Well said. And I think that's pretty comprehensive. Um... You know, this is a real hard season for me to kind of digest. And when you look back, and now we're, we are recording on Thursday at half past seven. And, you know, you'd kind of hope that Rafa was still locked in a room with Mike Ashley, like forcing him to drink pints and he's sick in fireplaces while he d- demands that he's allowed transfer autonomy for next season with every penny generated, not 30 million out of the club, but every every penny generated. But in reality, it's it's probably, I don't know, who knows what's going on. So I don't want to get too much into the future of the manager in this podcast. We're going to cover it so much when the decision is announced on True Faith. But it's like, if you look at last season, the seventeen eighteen season, um, there was a lot of context to that and it made a lot of sense. So we started all right, got much worse, signed Dubravka, signed Kennedy, Perez comes good, <laughs> Shelby comes good, Diarmé comes good. Um, Lejeune comes good with Lascelles and, and and everything makes sense from that point on we're really good, we'll beat all the teams at home and we're kind of getting to this summer and everything falls apart again for the second summer in a row and then this this season's a weird season because I remember going into that Watford game that were one thing, if we don't win today and what, let's not forget, Watford were like had won like six in a row or something Watford were like fourth or something ridiculous going into that game I remember thinking that specifically because they've wrote about 1500 which is shite Um Proof I've got no beef with Watford, but proof that like you know we're competing and being you know easily bested by clubs of this size who get twenty thousand for home games and in the, the the best ever top flight run in about thirty years since Graham Taylor was there. They only managed to bring fifteen hundred and a three o'clock at Newcastle, but that's another story. If we we deserve to lose that game, um, Watford were really unlucky. If you hadn't if we hadn't won that game, we were in in real real trouble and you know once you get to that 8, nine, ten game mark of a season you start looking at the stats and stats start being produced like no team has ever gone so long without winning and stayed up no team's ever finished you know I think the main one from this season I've got nothing to say that this but uh, 
I think in the last 10 years, every single team who's been top at Christmas has won the league. <laughs> Until this year. Um, people keep saying, oh, <laughs> what more could Liverpool have done in the title race? Will not blow a seven-point lead would be, would be my top of my suggestions. But who, who are we to talk about such things, considering what happened in our distant past? But yeah, so this season's a real strange one. And Norman, you mentioned the signing of Almiron as being pivotal and in, in, in 15 points picked up, 16 points picked up in the, the 10 games after he signed, which is, you know, kind of form that would get you, if not in the top six, you know, certainly on the way heading there. Um, Rob, you know, let's let's look at it another way. You know, we we'll talk about season um, 17, 18, the signings of Dubravka and Kennedy. You know, Rafa finally settles on Shelby and Diarmi as a two with that season. And from that point on, <laughs> we're all right. Totally different this season. A lot of people would look at Isaac Hayden. And Norman's talked about that Cardiff game and you know that penalty that we missed. Despite let's let's face it, against a shocking Cardiff side, we were we were shite. And there's also a lot of people forget about the Forest away game, which was three or four days later. We were shite in that, and a lot of people were wondering like, how have we got? So, despite the the excellent, um, sorry, despite the terrible transfer window that we had, clearly regressed since the end of last season. Um, so Isaac Hayden is sent off in that game, and how how impressed were you with his turnaround, and how? Much do you put our turnaround this season down to his inclusion in this side? Yeah, so um, in terms of the Cardiff match, first of all, I was lucky enough to be there as well because I, I travelled down from the north. Lucky. <laughs> I feel like I was lucky. I, I love going to away games, you know. Like um, it was, it was, it was fantastic. I met met up with Norman and uh, all the lads down there. I think Chris Shipman was there and a few Sean and a few of the other lads as well. Um, it's my first, it was my first trip to Cardiff. Um, and when when Hayden came on, I think he, I think he came on for Mankiw at half time. Um, Mankiw had started at right back, and Hayden came on, and a lot of us in the away end were kind of like, "Oh my God, you know, Hayden's coming on. Where where's he going to play? Is he going to play right back? What are we going to change formation? What's going to happen?" And also bear in mind that in July of that of that summer, like last basically a year ago, he'd said he wanted well, he needed to leave Newcastle United, and we're all thinking his heart in it. He hadn't played against Tottenham, I don't think. Um, basically, no, no. So for me, when 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 I, when Mankia went off injured, um, I, I really did worry about Hayden coming on, and um, it, it was a really strange one because you know the, the tackle that he made to get sent off for was horrendous. I mean, like it, it looked, it looked like almost like going back to that was what was the game when we, Williamson got sent off. Almost, uh, and, he, Leicester. Yeah, and he was accused by Car- by Carver of getting <laughs> deliberately sent off. If, if ever you think <laughs> things are bad now, just think well, what this Rob's is the point about. I'm making, right? I, I I really did worry then. I thought like this is the second game of the season. We're playing away at Cardiff City, who are going to get relegated, and we were struggling. Um, it was it was a shit game. Isaac Hayden came on for Mankio, and I thought like, is his heart in it? Because he'd announced he wanted to leave family reasons, uh, is this high or not? Then he goes and gets sent off. And the first thing I thought was, he's done it on purpose. You know, and then... You're thinking, has Ashley actually kidnapped Rafa over the summer <laughs> and put John Carver in with like a mask on or something? <laughs> like, what was going on here? There was, ben, there was all sorts of things going through my mind at that point, honestly, <laughs> especially after a few pints. Was, was, I was not the main one why can't Kennedy take a pint. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that, that was also worrying, considering he hadn't made a single pass in the first half. <laughs> As a lot of people will remember, I'm sure he didn't make a single completed pass in the first half of that Cardiff match. But uh, yeah, so Hayden, just to go back to Hayden, he was sent off. And from that point, I, I really did think 
that was we wouldn't see any more of him that season. I, this season, I just thought it would be the end of him. Rafa's very much a manager that trust. He has to trust his players, and given that given that situation where it appeared that. I mean, Hayden to me, when when he signed for Newcastle United, he comes across as very professional, very you know, very level-headed, and that tackle that he made in that Cardiff game was not like him. I thought he, he came on probably unprepared because he was, probably wasn't expecting, to, especially to play at right back. But and then he goes and gets sent off, and I, I, I just thought, well, that's probably the end of the save. Um, but to go and then just to jump miles forward, I know I know we're going to go through the whole season, but I just want to. Show, I just want to go all the way ahead to the Liverpool game. After the Liverpool game at home, with the lap of appreciation. During that lap of appreciation, as Isaac Hayden walked past the strawberry corner, there was a chance of Isaac Hayden would want you to stay. And all I could think of then was when he was sent off against Cardiff, and I thought, how has he gone from being vilified, like, you know, after that red card at Cardiff, which potentially led to that nil nil, to being like, lauded by the fans at the end of the season and it, it i think that that really made it stand out to me like how how good a season he had had since that red card and he really really has knuckled down and um the effort that he's put in and it just again it's confidence like you know like he's not he's not the greatest midfielder in the world he's not a patrick Vieira. he's not a roy Keane. plays in that sort of position but he's nowhere near the ability they had However, Rafa seems to get this performance out of players just just above their station, you know, like he has this ability to coach players and almost give them the confidence to go out and play way above the ability that they have in them. And I think Isaac Hayden sums that up perfectly. He he is you know, he's he's not a world beater by any stretch of the, of the imagination. But when I've watched him play this season, apart from Cardiff away, he has been exceptional, and I distinctly remember being, I was doing the match day podcast at, at, um, at Wolves when he scored, uh, you know, to, to put us 1-0 up, and for those on, who subscribe to Patreon and listen to the match day podcast will have heard me say that I was delighted for him. He played well, not only in, that, in the start of that Wolves game leading up to the goal, but since the red card at Cardiff, just excelled and I was I was genuinely like thrilled for him. I was I was really pleased. He managed to score against Wolves and one of the Wolves games, I'm sure. But um, yeah, just um, the 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 amount of decent performances he put in was just was immense. And I'll come on to the <laughs> partnership he struck up long stuff in him. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was I was going to say very well said, Robin and Ben. You know, I'll ask you the question. Um, you know, what was it accidental? Do you think? Do you think that like seasons are defined on such things? And we'll look at. You know, I'm going to talk about formation at the minute, but I think that you know we sign Isaac Hayden and we will play four four one one every single week in the championship without fail, um, as we did nearly the whole of last season, seventeen eighteen, um, and this season we've got that very obvious tactical change, um, which I'll come on to, but you know, Longstaff Hayden are four and five in terms of midfielders. They're not even in the conversation when Key, Diarmi and Shelby are fit. And Shelby goes off against Watford when he's playing really badly. That leaves Key and Diarmi from then on. Then Diarmi gets injured. And then Key goes off to the um, Asian Games 
you know, how much of you know? I'll, I'll say it. Have has Rafa been lucky by by those circumstances, forcing his fourth and fifth choice best midfielders into his team? Well, you can't say he was lucky because it was absolute shock. And look, wanted to be left with them three, uh, with them two, especially for the run of games. So, wouldn't say he's been lucky. Um, dealt a shit hand, I think you could call it. To be fair. But to, I, I wouldn't say it's luck because I think with Rafael, he's so um, he's, he's clinical in, in the way he, he, he sort of goes around his work. So when he signed Isaac Hayden, he didn't sign him just to be a, a bench warmer or anything like that. He obviously saw potential. The things um, Rob's just been talking around there about the character of the bloke. I mean, he's all the stuff he does outside of, of, of the um, off, off the pitch um, sort of shows you the type of bloke he is. And, um, I think that that sort of just that determination. I mean, at the end of the day, he's come through Arsenal. You've got to have something about you to to stand stick around as long as he did as well to get there. So there's clearly something there that Rafa saw in the, in that player. Um, and his versatility, I think, obviously was one of the big things when he first came. And and you talk around there, Rob, about him playing right back at Cardiff, then coming into play centre mid at, at, um, at, later on in the season and. Um, I don't think it was luck because I think Rafa knew he he was capable of coming in and doing the job that he was asked to do. Now, he wasn't coming in and playing as a, a playmaker or anything like that. He was coming in basically to be an extra defender in an advanced role to come in, win the ball, push forward. And, and he's a brilliant tackling. I mean, that's one of the things you, you look at Hayden, his progression through this season. The more confidence he, he, he gets, the higher up the pitch he's pushing. I mean, there's some games where he's almost playing like a right winger like in a defensive role, but he's pushing that high up the pitch and winning the balls back. And Longstaff grew from that as well, I think. And it, to be honest, you it sound, seems strange to, to say it, but I think Longstaff will have taken a lot from playing with someone like Hayden that probably wasn't going to be... When they came in together, Longstaff, had it been a Shelby, a Key or a Diome, he would have just been, right, You like I'll just play it really simple. I'm not going to sort of risk anything. You're the senior player here you do all everything. Whereas when he came in with Hayden, I don't think there was that aura of sort of, you're much better than me. It was a kind of, we're on equal footing here. And I think that'll have given him a bit of a confidence boost to, to, to play his game and, and start to sort of um, get forward and, and take risks, I suppose, in games and push on. I mean, you look back to that penalty wins um, at Man City, challenging Fernandinho in their box, nicking the ball. Like, we we wouldn't have done that with Diome or any of the, uh, like, Key or Shelby. So you could just see how much those two, or, or I suppose it's the challenge of, of the, in the competition of, like, we've got an opportunity here, like, let's, let's take it and we've got nothing to lose. Um, and I think that, that pushed both of them on to, to sort of better um, performances. Yeah, so I was, I was having a little look through the, uh, again, the fixture list, the, the results list now on uh, NUFC.com, and I, I, little, I had a little look at... Um, when the Hayden Longstaff partnership started, uh, so the first game they played together was the one-one draw against Blackburn in the FA Cup, which was a a classic. <laughs> yeah, but took yeah. the words out of my mouth. Yeah, um, yeah, I was there with my kids, and it was I, I regretted going. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, when uh, me, Mickey, and Paul missed the first two goals I scored at Ewood, we regretted going as well. We got. I'm not even going to it. People who listen on Patreon will know why, but we went and we're giving them the first like four minutes. But uh, the, as we all know, the FA Cup's really not important. So um, the first Premier League game that they started together was Chelsea away. And I was there. Very, again, luckily, it, it was a fantastic game. 
those who remember it, we lost two one. Um, it was you know went down one nil early on, and then Ewan Clark scored from a corner. And what what I remember from that game was I was it was the first time I've ever been at the very front of the away end, so like literally like pitch side, if you like. Um, and I, I kept a close eye on Sean Longstaff that day because I thought you know looking at the when the team lineup came out, I thought you know we're playing Chelsea, we're world class team. And we're starting with Hayden and Longstaff in the middle. And similar to what Ben said, you know, in the Man City game, I was terrified, you know, going into the match. I thought we're starting with Hayden and Longstaff in the middle against a world-class midfield. And I thought we were just going to get torn apart. But watching Sean Longstaff in that match, I think it was that. It was at that point, you know, I, I watched him and I thought, wow, this lad's going to be a, going to be a quality player. You know, 20, 21 years old, um, playing at Stamford Bridge against this world-class midfield. Um, you know, he was getting closed down quickly, but wasn't losing possession. And I, all I all I could think watching that game was that, you know, Rafa watching him play would have been delighted because Rafa loves midfielders who retain the ball, retain possession, and keep the team going forward. And Longstaff was doing all those things, even away at Chelsea, you know, in his in his in his first Premier League start. So, um. And Hayden, you know, they, they complemented each other fantastically. And it, what better, what better occasion to, to sort of showcase yourself than Chelsea away in the Premier League against that team? Um, and it, it was fantastic to watch. Honestly, like uh, Longstaff just looked like he, he was a cultured midfielder. Like I don't know, like you know, it, it could have been Shelby in there. It would have made any difference. He, he was playing long balls, short balls, but he rarely gave the ball away. And I just thought to myself. That you know this this, this lad's going to be good for, him. and it, it was such a shame that he got injured um, when he did because I think we would have probably finished even higher if he if he'd stayed fit and stayed in the team. But the injury he picked up against West Ham was was a shame. But um, yeah, so I mean, the, the, you know the the the, the combination of um, Longstaff and Hayden in terms of the Premier League went on. You know, we we, we beat Cardiff three nil at home. Um, then of course the Man City game we won two one. Um, we'll come on. Yeah, we'll come so on to that. Was, I think you, know, you could see it was going to be. A, it was yeah. going to be a successful yeah. company. The the best thing about long not the best thing. Oh. Key thing about Longstaff is he, unlike all of our other central midfielders, bar Shelby at Fulham, is he's a goal threat. And it's yeah, he got his goal against Burnley, which is a brilliant goal. But he'd also been knocking on that door for a seriously long time, and that. <sighs> Without wanting to get too negative for a minute, because I'm still really impressed by what this team have achieved this season. Like we aren't very good. We don't score many goals. We're, we're quite good defensively, but we, we don't score many goals. You know, not much more than a goal a game. You know, once upon a time in the Premier League, that that would have got you relegated. I think it, I'm still in shock that last season Huddersfield stayed up scoring 28 goals. Like talk about the writing being on the wall. <laughs> I wish I'd put my mortgage on Huddersfield come down this year. Like, but. Uh, you know, and in a player like Sean Longstaff um, comes in, young, local. By the way, great, great proof that you don't have to be like 18 yeah, and a superstar yeah. or 19. You know, 21 getting on 22. He's not actually that much younger than Hayden. Um, but he, he's been out at Blackpool. He's, he's done his time. And, and you know, to, to go back to the question, I'll say it. I think we're a little bit lucky there. But, and that's what you, you know, we're unlucky against all these games and, you know, Wolves away and all that kind of thing when we really deserved more. It was a, it was a stroke of luck that, you know, Key got called up to the, the games and that 
you know, I wouldn't say players get injured to stroke a look, but I don't think in a relegation battle that Rafa Benitez turns to Isaac Hayden and Longstaff to potentially turn things. I could be wrong. I could, there, could, there could have been in waiting. It could have been the master plan. But I think that injuries to other players, Ben's few. It's, it's a disgrace. Rafa's laid hogtied in the van of Mike Ashley at the minute. Absolutely fuming at the thought that this was luck. Or will I or will live stream? <laughs> like um. Uh, anyway, I want to talk about the formation because I think that one of the most important things to the success of Hayden and Longstaff is their defensive ability. And you're spot on, Rob, like you say, moving the ball and keeping the ball moving, particularly with our full-backs and our third centre-back, um, was, was crucial. But if you listen to Rafa Benitez spoke to Guillaume Balaguer recently for a Five Live podcast about the biggest game in his career, and he talked about how... One of the things he took pride at, at Valencia and at other teams since was that teams like just can't open his sides up. They can't create chances. So Valencia, I mean, we're 32 minutes in. I joked to, to Norman off air that the last last year's season review we did was two hours long and we we're definitely weren't going to do two hours this time. But we'll, we'll see how we get on because we've got so much left to talk about. Um, yeah, Steven Gerrard and Rafa Benitez, when, when Benitez first signs for Liverpool, like I think Liverpool for some reason had played Valencia loads in the previous year as Valencia went on to win the Europa League. I think they played in the Champions League, the Europa League, and in a friendly at Anfield. And um, I think one of the first things that Carragher says to Benitez, the new manager, is what, what a new Valencia manager would literally couldn't create a chance against you. And when you look at us in, in, in the, when, I, when we're at our best, and I'm not talking about set pieces because they don't come because we're fucking shite at defending set pieces. Miguel Antia, earn your money. You're out there with your clipboard. Like, um, we are terrible at defending set pieces. But ignore, you know, I'm talking open play here. When we play the likes of Manchester City at home, and even when, when we play the likes of, you know, um, Liverpool to an extent, you could, you could call it bad defending, but we're not, we're not the kind of team like, and we're going to talk about the Man City game. We don't beat Man City at home with Dubravka pulling off a string of saves. We don't beat, you know, Cardiff at home, Huddersfield at home, Burnley at home. Those teams, like, almost struggle to, like, even get in our penalty area at times. And I, I think that's, I think the ability of Hayden and Longstaff to control that part of the pitch and to close down space and using the extra centre-back that we've got to kind of interchange with them at times, particularly Hayden, is a massive asset in this formation. And I think one of the reasons that Hayden was so successful and Longstaff is so successful in this formation isn't just their ability on the ball, particularly Longstaff. It's the fact that they're so fit and they can cover so much ground. Longstaff and Hayden in those games, they're just all over the pitch. And you don't get that from our three other central midfielders. And I remember doing the Match Day podcast at at Old Trafford, 2-0 up at half-time. One of the... We were. Oh, I was three there. Um... Cheers, Auntie Taylor, you prick. Um, <laughs> who, Auntie Taylor, by the way, that, I don't know if anyone watched Leeds Derby, but he just, he just basically, he went out there and he thought, well, I'm going to lose control. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be an entertaining game, like, like 12 cards and two reds or something. Just terrible, terrible referee. But, um, you know, I remember looking at Shelby and Diom at halftime thing, and that was class, but they're knackered here. They're absolutely knackered. And Jose Mourinho throws on... Fellaini, is it, I think. Yeah, is it Fellaini and Mata and Sanchez, he just he just throws on midfielders, knowing that those two... Three, three now, subs that probably cost more than our entire yeah. squad. Exactly, but, exactly, but it's, I think it's the fact that Mourinho, being a good manager, recognised that we, we were blown in midfield. Diame getting on. Shelby, not the most mobile. Compare that to Hayden and Longstaff. And listen, Diame and Shelby played great that day and they provided other qualities. But Hayden and Longstaff's mobility is probably what Rafa loves. And people talk about, you know, 
would we? Is there any chance of keeping Hayden? How much would you sell him for? I I honestly think that Rafa's first choice starting to at, next season out of the current crop of midfielders would be those two players, Hayden and Longstaff. And if we look at quickly because we're running out of time, the change to five four one is is interesting. Can we all just have a little? Think back and smile at ourselves about the time when we had Lejeune and Shaw in that back three. Wow, nah. that was a one of the best moments, like periods of my life. <laughs> um, but uh, in, we'll come on to Shaw in a bit. Regarding this, is excluding games against like Man City away when we, we did it last last season in seventeen eighteen. We'd go to five at the back, but it was very much a con, you know a containment strategy. This oh. season, at the start of the season, we we'll stick with our four four one one. Perez in behind us. Norman's talked about Perez's start, subbed off six times in the first nine games or whatever it was, and dropped for the other game against Watford, where he eventually scores the winner. It isn't until Burnley away, um, which me and Rob were at, where we, we play this formation. Now, when I when I think back to how we analysed that game, Burnley play with two big lads up front, Wood and Barnes. Isn't it? Barnes. Barnes or Vokes, I can't remember who played that oh, day. Yeah, Vokes scores, doesn't um, But By the way, I, I can, sorry, just jump in. I can remember standing with you in the away end in the concourse. And the team sheet came out and we looked at it and went, eh, like, what, yeah. what's going on here? And then, Where, yeah, playing, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Then when we, we went out and saw the team line up, I think it was me, you and Adam were there and we said, what the fuck is Richie doing left back? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't played there so disastrously last season against Chelsea as well. But, he plays that formation, and I thought, well, it's, it, it, having three centre-backs to combat the height, because that's all Burnley are just a long ball team who play long balls to those lads. Chris Wood is like a genius in the air, outside the penalty area, at finding players, and it works, and we win, and we should win 4-5-1, uh, but we don't. Richie misses like an open goal. Richie misses an open goal. But it was a good night, and I'll, I'll talk about the away games a little bit more later on. We'll play that game, that was the 26th of November, right, and... We were unbeaten in four games. We'd won the last three. Burnley, Bournemouth, Watford were drawn at um, Southampton. And we're going to West Ham at home. And, and I think West Ham at home is its almost the Watford of the previous season. Like, you know, Rafa's teams are, and, and everyone was, you know, showing the graphics, you know, about almost like what points were goals caught for and against at various points at the end of the season are the same. It's like, we'll always get one. We'll always get one shite home game against a shite team who would like just turn it over for no reason. And that West Ham game, I reckon. Was, was seminal in the season because, first of all, I think, I believe it's the last time all season we'll line up with four at the back um, at the start of a game. Uh, and he plays, I think it's Fernandez and Scher that game, and um, Onoutovic and Hernandez and Anderson's a front three. Have our pants down, the midfield can't cope with them. I remember looking back at the team, I think it was like Diame, um, Key, Rondon, Perez. Richie, all the lads, good do you know team, what I mean? Yeah, all the real lads. Team. So it's, 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 it's like hard. Basically the first yeah, team at the time. Like basically the first team out, and we really, really should have lost by far more than just the three on the day. West Ham were wasteful in the second half. They could have scored more than the three. And I think that was the day Rafa really decided that, right, we are going to have to create a defensively solid identity because we were conceding too many goals in games. It wasn't the same team that you'd seen previously. And I think. I think Hayden and Longstaff are crucial because when you look at the results after that, Rob, you were at Everton, and so yep. have you, Ben, um, for, for an excellent one-all draw. We play with five at the back against Wolves, where we lose. We play with five at the back against Huddersfield away and get a win. Um, and then we play Seminal Day. And this is, this is where, for me, you know, I lost faith a little bit in this because we play Fulham at home in one of the worst games ever. You know, Fulham, we've just beat them 4-0. 
they were probably worse when we played them in December, December under Ranieri yeah, yeah. than they were when we played them on the last day of the season. And and that's where you've got to hand it to this manager of ours. That's why, like, gobshites like me, not that I was saying sack him or he doesn't know what he's doing, but I was saying, surely you've got to play for at the back. And he knows, he knew that with the right application and the players learning and working in training, that this formation would be the formation that down Manchester City, the formation that Liverpool didn't deserve to beat against. These three, you know, these these sides have just pissed on everyone else. And I know we were unlucky a little bit on Boxing Day at Liverpool with with Salah diving for a pen. Um, it's it's like that that's that's how our manager is world class. He's kind of identified this formation. You know, we're kind of forced into it, and across the season, we'll then see some of the best attacking football that we've seen in in quite a while in terms of the goals we've scored, the results we've picked up. And it's uh, it's just like it's just pleasure to know that there's a, a tactical mind plus the coaching staff, and then a set of players like a Matt Ritchie, for example, who struggling. He was struggling all season as a as a right winger. He's hiding at left back, a left wing back, and becomes one of our most important players. And Fabian Scherz, another one. Fabian Scherz, to me, just my own opinion, looked hopeless before before that change to five at the back. He had his pants pulled down by Philippe Anderson. Kieran Clark was regularly getting in the team ahead of him. And although we could all tell he had ability on the ball, the change to five at the back or three centre-backs, however you want to define it, it, you know, player of the season. I mean, he played in that Forest game, didn't he, when we got Hamed as well and looked awful. Like, I, I was really surprised. Like when when you you see him at the at the beginning in that back four, you think, no, you wonder he was three quid. We've probably had, we've, we've been, we've hoid three, three million away here. Um, so, but you, you spot on. I think the, the biggest thing, and I suppose it's so what Rafa craves and, and everything you've just said there is the adaptability it's the adaptability of he he can put whatever side you give him he will make a team difficult to beat but also the players and you can see in terms of the business that he's done and um every every everything that he's he's put together it's all about being adaptable to situations and you, you talk about um a few few of the players you've mentioned there they've, they've all played different roles in this team and Shaw um as a centre-back in a four in a back four, looked a little bit out, a bit lost, a little bit out of place. Put him in a back three. He's pushing forward. He's getting involved. He's starting attacks and um, becomes basically like a playmaker in in your in your back five. And um, it it was just I, I, again, I, I think that is by design from Rafa. He knew what he was buying when he when he went out and got Shaw for an absolute bargain. Now I mean three million. It's got to be one of the the best signings of the season. He, he knew what he was doing because he he obviously seen what that player could do and how he would work with the likes of Lejeune on the other side and would complement the other players in that team and you've got to give Rafa the utmost respect for for basically building that team into the team that we've seen at the end. Yeah and on Patreon we're, we know we're going to do it this summer as well we'll do transfer shows we'll speak to journalists and fans of clubs of the players that were signed of you know the clubs that were signing these players from Norman talk to me a little bit Fabio, about Fabian Sher. I mean Ben's just given us a, a eulogy there which is well said you know, you spoke to a journalist last season, ahead of the season, before any of us had seen him play. And, um, you know, how did that go? And, and, you know, what kind of indication did he give in advance of the kind of play that we were getting? What the journalist from Deportivo, is a journalist who covers Deportivo for um, La Voz de Galicia, which is the kind, I suppose, the, the equivalent of the, of the Chronicle, but just uh, with, with less adverts when you go on the website. Um, <laughs> the... Um, the he said in that particular interview that um, Shea was an excellent footballer. He was great at bringing the ball out from the back. He could make these kind of 30 to 40 yard marauding runs. His range of pass was fantastic, but his defensive 
lapses in concentration and positioning were reliability. But what he did say to that was give Rafa Benitez the opportunity to work with him and there's a real player in there. And he said, you've got a bargain. And it proved to be absolutely right. The thing is, we've seen, we've seen this with Rafa. We've just been talking about Isaac Hayden there. Um, Isaac Hayden pretty much played most of his games at Hull City as a right-back and all of a sudden he's a, you know, he's a, one of the four box-to-box midfielders in the Premier League by the time he leaves uh, Newcastle United. Um, Rafa's Hasn't done left that yet. with Shea. Uh, with Shea. He's, he's, turned, he's absolutely turned, he's turned him round. Um, Shea started one league game in the first 10, um, two games in the first 11, if you include the Forest match. And there's a reason for that. It's because, as you said, Alex, he was completely lost playing in a back four. Um, but the moment we switched that back three, the moment that he's had sort of four or five months on the training ground with, with Rafa, with Rafa's staff, um, he looks a completely transformed player. And if he continues the form that he's, um, that he's shown in the last three, four months of the season into the next one, then we'll struggle to keep hold of him next summer. Yeah, you're spot on. And I suppose that, that brings us nicely into the game you did want to talk about, Norman Cardiff City yes. at home. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, the reason I want to speak about this Cardiff game is because I think it was a, it was a seminal moment in the season. So if we, if we look back at the Cardiff away match, it, uh, there's a great juxtaposition. The Cardiff away match had a psychological impact in the fact we missed that last-minute penalty. It has a knock-on effect. This Cardiff City home match, for me as a fan, and I think possibly the players themselves, and certainly um, obviously other Newcastle fans that I know, it had a huge impact on us psychologically because at the time we played them, so let's, let's talk about the teams um, that we finished above. Brightmore in 13th place on 26 points. You had Bournemouth in 12th on, seven, uh, on 27. Burnley were in 15th on 21. Southampton in 16th on 19. Cardiff were in 17th on 19. We won 18th on 18 points. That was after 22 games. And you look at the, previous, the games prior to this Cardiff match, um, we'd picked up uh, two points from our previous five. Five points, for, five points from the previous nine. So we were struggling. I mean, we were struggling. And, you know, um, the transfer window opened. We hadn't signed anyone. The Almiron deal was, you know, as protracted as any kind of transfers at Newcastle. It was dragging on. Probably we thought we're not going to sign anyone. Classic, or we'll get three loan signings in on, on deadline day, as is, as is the standard, or as it was until that point. Um, and I thought that we absolutely comprehensively outplayed them. The first 20 minutes, aye, they were a little bit dull. They were a little bit dull. They were a little bit cagey. But the moment that Shea slalomed through with that whole Cardiff City side, um, and of course, you can point the finger at blame and say Cardiff was shocking in how they let him do it, but to have the confidence, the self-belief, and the kind of close control to go and do that, I just thought that not only must that have given a, a great boost to Shea, I think that the way that we utterly outplayed them gave a great boost to us. And I remember leaving, this, uh, leaving St. James's after the 3-0 win with Sai and saying we basically need to survive this season we need 34 to 35 points. That win had put us on 21 points. Um, we had we picked up our 35th point against Bournemouth away in March, and Cardiff City got relegated with, um, I think, 34 points. So that for me was was huge. Not only was it huge for Shea and the kind of belief that the fans obviously had in them after that game, I just think it was it was huge for for the players and the. Um, and the, uh, and, and the fans as a collective. Definitely. I mean, it resurrected every, everything in the club, didn't it? The, the team, the performances, the, I mean, the fan base. I mean, I remember thinking at that Cardiff time, um, at this, around the time of that Cardiff game, thinking if, if we don't beat these here, yeah, we're, we're probably one of the favourites to go down. And, well, sorry. Um, sorry, sorry, Ben. I'll just add one, more, I'll add one more quick important stat to that as well. 
Guess who got the goal in the third minute of injury time? Uh, against Cardiff at home? Mm-hmm. Great question. That was it, Perez? It was Ayose Perez. And look what happened after that. <laughs> we haven't even talked about him yet. I mean, we're, we're like 45 minutes in here, so... Yeah, I mean, really quickly, I want to get onto the key moments of the season, and that is definitely one of them. Um, but, but quickly, Ben, you know, the a lot, a lot was made of our waveform. We only lost to West Ham. Am I correct here? We only lost to outside West Ham of outside of the top six. Yeah. I mean, we lost to all the top six teams yeah. away, but you know, only seven away defeats in nineteen. I mean, we only won four, but still, only seven away defeats. And I'm talking not just not just points, but the performances at the likes of Bournemouth, Wolves. You know, positive team, Everton, which you were at. You know, how important do you think they were across the season to to what were eventually achieved? Absolutely massive. I mean, the I mean the Bournemouth and, and Everton game in particular. I was at both of those. It was it was that fighting spirit, and I think having faced all the adversity we had at the the, the beginning of the season, and um, there were a lot of things going against us. That just even though there were draws, they they were massive because it, it showed that we still had the fight. The players were still up for the fight to to stay up and. Um, and these were against good teams. I mean, Bournemouth at the time were in great form. Everton at the time, obviously, you can talk about um, the sort of the investment Everton have had and, and sort of the expectations of, of that team. Um, and we went in there as, as sort of a, a struggling team, really, and, and gave a really, really good um, sort of performance and, and showed a, um, a, a fighting quality that I, I don't think those teams were expected. I mean, Richie's last-minute winner... Um, sorry, well, felt like a winner. I, I, like I, I a keep winner. saying, I, I think I say it every time I say it, the winner, the, the equaliser. Um, we didn't deserve to lose that game. We didn't deserve to lose against Everton, and I think that just the confidence it got from coming out of those games where we probably would, we obviously were facing in, in Bournemouth, especially um, of potentially having played well, and, and obviously Rondon scores that first goal, but then letting it slip and falling to two one, and things were going against us. To, to manage to claw something back and, and get get something out of that game was absolutely massive. And I think Rafa must have must have been saying, look, we don't lose again. We keep going. We make sure we take something out of every game that we can from this point on. And okay, we weren't winning many games and we, we only won four away games. But the, those away points, those, those draws were so key because it just kept the momentum going. And I mean, you look at... Um, Sort of the the Liverpool, how they've managed to sustain their their champ their title sort of bid was was on that sort of hole. We've only lost to to Man City. Newcastle built built confidence from the fact that we we gave a a good account of ourselves in every game and we were tough to beat. And no nobody wanted to play Newcastle. I mean, it wasn't long ago when Newcastle were a soft touch. Newcastle were thought of as one of the easier teams you could play particularly against. Particularly away from home. Particularly like we away from were home. Basically, a walk in three points. Just would show up and get smashed off everyone. Not anymore. Nobody wants to play Newcastle United at home these days because they know what they're in for. They're in for a battle. They're in for a well-drilled team that no matter who's on that pitch, they're going to get stuck in and, and going to be tough to break down. And, um, and, and that was, as I say, it was just key to... So I say the confidence for our team, but also I think um, sort of put, putting the fear in other teams as well, that um, making us a team to be feared. And I, I, I can guarantee there would have been nobody in that last stretch would have been looking forward to playing us at home. Well, oh, can I can I just jump in there quickly about on the on the away form um, and not losing to to any any side outside of the top six other than West Ham? I think you know we can look at it and say well we only we, we only won four games away, but what we did by 
by getting a point against those teams in and around us, what we also did was stop them picking up three points. Yeah. Now, those sides would have been looking at Newcastle United as, as a, a relegation rival and thinking, this is a game that we should be picking up three points. This is a game we're going to get three points in. A bit like we look at, you know, we look at Huddersfield at home, we look at Cardiff at home, we look at, um, um, I mean, in. Burnley to an extent at home. I mean, we're, we're thinking, you know, we'll be all right because we've got these at home, we'll get three points off them. But what Newcastle United did was, we stopped those sides winning the games or winning that one game that they thought they might get something out of. Spot on. And let's move on to a game which will live long in the memory. Uh, Rob, you want to talk about Manchester City at home. Uh, 2-1 defeat in Newcastle United. Since then, in case you didn't know, um, Manchester City have won all 18 Premier League games. Yeah, <laughs> darling. Yeah, they'd won like the 12 before that or something. <laughs> I think everyone's probably seen that graphic on... Uh, Social media of um, you know like Liverpool and Man City's you know win draw loss uh, chart, and there's just that little blotch on on Man City's uh, list of um, <laughs> one red tile, which is uh, Rafa Benitez's Castle yeah, United uh, turning them over at St James Park. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of results, I mean, probably the biggest result, well, biggest result of our season. Um, for those of you who Listen to us on Patreon. Um, Norman does a, a show called The Greatest Game, um, talking about, as it sounds, games that people want to talk about for Newcastle United, where we've exceeded expectations. Um, I plan to record a Greatest Game podcast with Norman, all about the Man City two-one uh, win. So uh, keep an eye out for that if you subscribe. Um, but yeah, the, the, that game again. I, I said to Alex and Ben before this podcast, I wanted to talk about Sean Longstaff and Isaac Hayden. Um, I distinctly remember, similar to the Chelsea game, you know, looking at looking at our team lineup against Man City at home. Um, I think it was on a, like on a Tuesday night or something. Was it like a midweek game, um, evening match, and it was on TV. Obviously, Man City chasing the title, and you look at the team sheets and see. Newcastle United's um, academy <laughs> productie, Sean Longstaff alongside, you know, realistically probably a squad player in Isaac Hayden starting in the midfield from against Fernandinho, Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva, and just filled us with dread to be honest. I'll admit freely, I'd, I'd lost the faith. I didn't even turn up the game because I thought <laughs> I, I can't be asked to go and I, sit in the rain in the cold I or whatever was, it was, was and, uh, and see we lose like nine nil here. Yeah, uh, well, I was terrified and nine nil. You know, after twenty was it twenty four seconds when Aguero scored, <laughs> yeah. probably wouldn't have been an unreal <laughs> sort of prediction. Um, but you know, when you look at when you look back at that match in in terms of our season, again, Alex said it earlier in terms of confidence. You know, to 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 beat team like Manchester City one of the world's best teams you know don't you don't get better than that in terms of instilling confidence in players and when you do it with your fourth and fifth choice uh, central midfielders <laughs> in the team lineup it just magnifies that even more and when you also consider that I mean Ben's already mentioned that um, Longstaff won the, the penalty for Richie to you know to score the winner Isaac Hayden got the assist for uh, Rondon to get the equaliser. So, um, it's uh, just, again, testament to the, the to the performances that those two have put in as a combination this season, that they were able to go into that match with the confidence to 
not only put up a decent performance against those world-class central midfielders that I mentioned, but to actually outplay them on the day. And I think we, I think we finished that game with like 24% possession in that game, like less than a quarter of the possession. Made it count, though. <laughs> well, exactly, Ben. That's what it's all about, isn't it? And, um, you know, on the day we dug in, and yes, it was a fantastic team performance, but I always think, you know, in the middle of the pitch, central midfielders are pivotal to how your team play they so they were surrounded by world class players going forward so comfortable I thought on the day and what you know watching the game I was I was I, I was good to go behind after like 20 seconds or whatever it was but then from that point they did have a lot of chances but we just well quelled a lot of the problems that were causing us and to, to make our t- two big chances count. In- it was a game that um, I still can't make sense of. You know, to, first of all, I'll give you two of Newcastle's major weaknesses in the Premier League: one, going behind; and two, playing Man City. And even when Man, and City-, even when Man City was <laughs> shit, we, oh, were, yeah. we were rubbish. <laughs> Like I've just checked the stats, and it was our first win against them in the league in 22 games. Like, Stuart Pearce was sticking out Manchester City and still turning us over. Like, Hold on, Alex. T- 22 years? 22 games. Oh, 22 games. Yeah. I thought you said 22 years. I was going to say, I- I'm sure I remember just, one. Just the 19, 19 defeats in that time as well. So it's not even like we're just, kind of, you know, we're just drawing all the time. I mean, I mean so- this is like Man City with Richard Dunn and that, isn't it? Like, I remember, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Horrific, horrific teams that we've struggled against. That, like David James up front. Darius Vassell and I remember the, the, the whole the build-up was like, it was literally like reeling off all the stats. It was like the last time Newcastle like didn't lose to City or, or, like, or like got a win and it was rolling back. It was just a, an embarrassing run, wasn't it? But, and I said, I said it at the time. Um, first of all, I'm just reading on the BBC here. Um, it was our first penalty to be scored at St. James's Park since Georgine, in the Premier League since Jorginho win the album against Spurs. I can't. You know, that's, that's rigged. it's rigged. The whole thing's rigged. <laughs> Don't start that. Was, was that back in about two thousands or something? <laughs> that's a whole um, other debate, isn't it? Aye, but uh, you know, it's it's just it's one of them games. And I look at the starting lineup, and like you know, you'll all know the, everyone. But how can players like DeAndre Edlin, five million quid, Fabian Share, Matt Ritchie, the <coughs> right winger playing left wing back, Christian Atsu, <laughs> Christian Atsu. <laughs> Um, Jose Perez, who cost about again forty quid <laughs> from Tenerife, and and West Brom Solomon Rondon, like down Manchester City, and it, it, again I'll say it's it's one of those games where, um, you know Man City looking at Rob Stats here only had four shots on target. One of them was a fucking yeah, goal. Yeah. Like so, it's it wasn't it's it's weird because it wasn't like this. You know if if you know if in ten years time when Manchester when Manchester City haven't lost a game in six years. Like because they've financially <laughs> doped their way to that that pinnacle, um, people might you know youngsters might oh how how did we beat them and it's like I oh, bet I bet they hit the bar I bet they had four cleared off the line you know did Dubravka have the game of his life I bet we I bet we got away with a couple of penalties you know were they down to nine men or something like that and it's like no we just, <laughs> like, we just turned out in the second half we stayed in it until half time they had a bit of a go after half time and then they didn't score and then it was a bit like the Watford game where Watford when Watford hit the barn at the 60th minute they're just like we're not going to score <laughs> yeah. here lads like Man City were like probably not our <laughs> prob- we're probably not going to score again and then 
And then Rondon they, they were playing to keep. I was gonna say like yeah. keep keep it tight, innit? Yeah. Can you remember yeah. the look on Guardiola's face sat on that bench, almost crying, wasn't he on the on the touchline? I've been roughed again. Yeah. I've been roughed. Yeah. But and and we just beat them, and then it was just like at, at full time. It was one, when the final whistle went. It was and it was just one of them like. How the fuck did that happen? Like, and we played really well. Don't get us wrong, but and we defended brilliantly. And you know, and, and it was that that back three of Lascelles, um, Scher and Lejeune, um, it, Norman. Can can I add to that? Um, it was also in this. This is going to sound absolutely preposterous, but I don't care. I'm, I'm quite happy saying it um, and, and being preposterous. Um, Guardiola has got one way of playing, and those players are absolutely magnificent at doing it. And it's a you know it's a fa- it's fantastic football to watch. We know all the platitudes that they've had; they're all deserved. But you mentioned before, Alex, that Rafa Benitez builds sides that don't concede many chances. And in that match, he knew that City had one way, one way of playing. And if we let them play it, if we if we if we let them play that style, they would have just destroyed us. But what he did was he just squeezed them out to the wings. He constantly we set up to just squeeze them out of the wings, and they created. I mean, those four chances. I remember obviously the Aguero goal. Um, but clear-cut chances I, I don't recall any clear-cut chances Because we absolutely limited them And, and for me, that um, The players were fantastic, yes But that is the abs- It was the absolute epitome Of a Rafa Benitez masterclass In how to kind of defeat An adversary against all the odds It was an absolutely beautiful Tactical performance, regardless of the possession we had Regardless of how many chances we made It created, that for me is one of my favourite All-time performances we only had two shots, but you're spot on, there, Ben. Yeah. No, just just on that point, it's it's in really interesting. Cause you look back at Guardiola's um, career and how good they've been, and you think of the teams that have managed to sort of have success against them. So your Chelsea's back in um, the Mourinho era. Um, when he was at Bayern, they, I think they um, got knocked out to Juve, possibly. Um, but basically, all teams that have found the, the basically put that game plan into place where they were pushing them out and there's only really one way you can stop Guardiola teams from playing and that's keeping them wide and and yeah we did it with Longstaff, Hayden and some ridiculous players. On, on, on that point look at the benches and it's one thing to put an 11 out there and then be able to defeat one of the greatest teams of Premier League's ever seen if not the greatest and Rob's just laughing looking at the names it's like who have you got on the bench to try and influence this game? Well, you've got you've got goal machine when he plays Kieran Clark, but who isn't a great defender at this level? You've got Murphy Allard who struggled to get on West Brom's bench. Um, you've got Kennedy who kind of kick a ball most of the season. You've got Fernandez who admittedly is class. You've got Mancio who most Newcastle fans before the, the run of games at the end of the season would would count him in the worst ever players. Did, did Moonlight is uh, Andres Iniesta at moments though later on in the season? And you've got Callum Roberts has just been released, and and Freddie Woodman, who's probably our fourth choice goalkeeper, and, he, and, and and you know he's got Guardiola's got Gundogan, Bernardo Silva, Mares, Otamendi, Gabriel Jesus, and Phil Foden. Like, like probably like all of those players walk into our absolutely team. probably probably just by themselves as well. We're gonna sack off and, the rest and, of us and, and the other like eighteen Premier League teams as well. To be honest, yeah. yeah. So ridiculous night at St James's Park, and let's let's not forget. I only want to touch on this really quickly because we've got so much to get through. We've done an hour. Um, this is a really shit season off the pitch. Like um, protest groups, fan movements not really working out, boycotts, um, late walk-ins. Like the mood before that 
Man City game when it was announced that Almiron was going to be done kind of helped a little bit. But like you say, Ben, you decided not to come to the game. That that night at St James's Park, I think the official attendance, if we've got it written down anywhere, um, the attendance was only 50,000. And three th- Man City, for a change, brought a full allocation. Um, so there's like 2,000 unsold seats and probably six or 7,000 season ticket holders didn't go to the game. Not out of anything else than just pure like dissatisfaction at the way things were going. Rafa Benitez kicking off constantly, quite rightly. He was leaving constantly. You got Mike Ashley on TV saying the club is closer to being sold than ever before. It was just a really shite season for stuff like that. Um, social media, really unpleasant place at times. Um, people victimising people, turning on people because of an opinion on football. Or it's just like fucking hell. Like this club could be so good, but there are so much, so much of this like negativity which surrounds it. We know, we know the reason why. It's because of one bloke ultimately, but like. It's it's nice to be able to look back at the football and not at the other shite that just surrounds Newcastle United while we have this kind of poisonous ownership ultimately that's that seeps its way down from the top. So I just wanted to mention that quickly because it has a lot of it in, in terms of someone who, you know, I've tried to write a lot about football and we run these social media platforms and these podcasts. Like, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's been a really, really, really tough season in that respect. Um, but, you know, onwards and upwards and it worked out okay in the end but was, you know for a long time a lot of people thought would get relegated I mean looking at the league positions you know we lost to Brighton at home at the end of October and we're, we're bottom of the league we're bottom, bottom of the Premier League below Huddersfield below Cardiff and I think I remember asking myself or I, might, I, might, I might have even said it on the podcast after the match if you cannot beat Brighton at home who can you beat well it turns out quite a few teams <laughs> but um we're going to move on, uh, and we're going to talk to Norman about the front three. And uh, why don't you kick off, Norman, with the signing of Almiron and how that changed the season? So, first of all, I think it changed the season in the sense that we've eventually broken our um, 14-year-old transfer record. You know, we, we paid whatever it was for Michael Wern back in 2000 and... Actually, it was 2004. 2005. It was 2005. Um and at the time, I mean, you know, that, that's when we were breaking transfer records, you know, only only a few years earlier, what, nine years earlier, we'd um, broken the world record for Shearer, you know, it wasn't, it, it was quite a regular occurrence for us to spend what at the time was considered big money. And then we are taken over by Mike Ashley, the financial problems that the club are highlighted and Mike Ashley decides that he won't spend anything more than I think, I think possibly um, Rafa's biggest signing prior to Army Ron may, may well have been Matt, Matt Ritchie. I might be wrong on, on the exact figures here, but um, Matt Ritchie and Jacob Murphy were, were quite expensive um, comparatively. But obviously, you know, twelve million in the Premier League is is, is buttons really. Um, and we signed Army Ron in twenty million. We were all chuffed that we brought in the record. But even then, you look at twenty million. I mean, Bournemouth Bournemouth got and paid twenty million for Dominic Solanke, who barely even plays. Um, but what it did was it it lifted us. It it just gave us a I don't know, a, a, sense of, a sense of movement forward, if you like. Um, we haven't broken our transfer rates in 2005. We've done it now. It's a little, it felt like a little step forward. And I think there was a huge psychological boost because of it. <clears throat> and then obviously, we see his debut against Wolves. He comes on as a sub. And we concede that um, equaliser in injury time of injury time. Um, but Amiron really impresses straight away. He's direct running. He's a he's ability on the ball. He's his desire and his hunger to have the ball. And we all go to his home debut against Huddersfield. And to be frank, <clears throat> he's just fantastic. And it's obviously the first time that we see Perez, Amiron, and Ron Don together. So he has a little stat for you. Um, 
Perez, Almiron, Rondon. Nine starts together before, um, before Almiron gets injured against Southampton. Five wins. In that period, Ayuzia Perez gets seven goals in nine games. Seven and nine. Rondon gets three and nine, which is more or less, you know, what he's average. One in every three games. That's the that's kind of striker Rondon is. He's a one, he's a one and three game man. Um, the points that we get, as I mentioned before, with the Almiron, Perez, Rondon front three, 16 from 10. The points <clears throat> that we get from the first 10 games of the season are three. I mean, his importance to the side, the impact that he's had, regardless of the the kind of mouthy people on, on social media, well, he hasn't even had an assist, he hasn't even scored a goal. It's not a reflection of the reality. The reality is that he improved that side. He improved the confidence and self-belief in people like Ayose Perez. <clears throat> even Rondon, to a certain extent, who I don't think suffers from um, lack of confidence ever. Um, I think he, he boosted them hugely. And immediately there was this, this natural understanding between these players. Um, they just knew each other because what they are is they're intelligent. And obviously helps that they all speak the same language as well. Um, but they're intelligent, good footballers. And Amiron was the catalyst for the the form that Ayose Perez has shown, the form that Salomon Rondon shown the last third of the season. Um, his, his importance to the side, I don't think it can, be, um, it can be understated at all. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing him ready for the new season. And I really hope that Ayose Perez stays. And I hope we get Rondon because I think those three, plus a couple of, a couple of additions as competition for them, could really see us um, score more than the 42 goals we, uh, we got last season. Grease, Griezmann's <laughs> available, isn't he? So. Zaha, um, Zaha wants to move as well, so you never know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah spot on, and, and we could probably do and we will do stuff over the summer because we're, we're going right into this on Patreon podcasts about the squad and, and you know how suitable it is for next season and what we need, but that front three will give every, anyone a game, apart from Arsenal, where we're, we're playing really badly, but like... Apart from that game, you know, that front three really caused problems for teams. And, you know, Ron, uh, Rondon and Perez have really come on. And the, whatever, whatever you think about our tactics, or you think Rafa's negative, or you think he's fine, one thing which we really lacked this season before me was pace. And that's the Christian Atsu. Christian Atsu was like being continually brought on in the first half of the season. People kept saying, why is he bringing on Atsu? And it's, I think Rafa realised that. Unless he gets some pace in this side, hence beating Manchester City, Christian Atsu was one of the best players against Man United at home as well. Um, like, like you know, you are you you can't you can't be pedestrian in the Premier League. Look at Cardiff. I mean, they've had they've had their Murphy brother, but unless you have searing pace in the Premier League when you're down at the bottom, you, you're not going to lay a glove. And it, think back to earlier in the season, a real tough days. I mean, I'm talking like Palace away, Southampton away, Leicester at home, even Brighton at home to an extent, although they had a lot of chances were just so easy but, to defend against. Uh, actually, Alex, can I just, I'll, I'd like you to just add to that if, if possible. Um, so, <clears throat> we, all, we, all, we all know about Perez's, um, Perez's form in the latter stage of the season. Those first 10 games that Perez plays where he, where he subbed six times, he's dropped once, you know. Um, he, he made nine, those nine starts, uh, those, sorry, those starts that he made, he played up front, right? In that, that, those, you know, that tiny amount of games where they either Hosselu, Rondon, Muto or Jacob Murphy, 10 games, zero goals. Um, you also factor in the fact that uh, Rafa wanted Almiron on the summer, and this goes back to what I was saying before. You get a fully fit run done, Miguel Almiron and Perez in at the start of the season. You look at those games you had, Palace away, Southampton away, Cardiff away. I would even argue Arsenal and Leicester at home, definitely Brighton at home. You could be looking at seven or eight more points there. You really could, and that puts a whole new perspective on the season because if we start the season with 10 to 12 points from those first 10 games, then, then who knows? 
And that that's the exciting thing, isn't it? Ben, do you want to say I was something? I going to say Champions League, here we come. <laughs> well, that, that brings me <laughs> on to the, the last part of the podcast. So I wanted to speak to Rob. You know, do you think that we're... I mean, ignore... Assume the manager's staying. Do you think that we are in better shape going into next season now than we were at this point last season going into this season? <laughs> and why? <laughs> Uh, I, I would say yes, because despite the fact that we've finished three places below where we finished last season, I think um, it really comes down to two things. I think the front three that we've got, as in now, as in Perez, Almiron and Rondon, I think is superior to what we had at the at the end of last season. If you look back to when we Chelsea 3 I know obviously Gale scored that day, but um, they're a big advocate of Dwight Goal. Um, however, I think in terms of Premier League, Rondon is, is, is um, more suited style. Um, and I think also you've got to look at, weirdly, this, like we've covered already, the, the formation change. I think, whatever you want to call it, 5-4-1, 3-5-2, whatever you want to call it, um, I think that's really worked for us. And, you know, Rafa's come to the conclusion to play that formation and it's 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 <laughs> talked about it numerous times on the podcast throughout the season just because we're playing three center backs backs doesn't mean we're a defensive team we 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 have looked so good attacking wise in that formation um and almost well you can fully understand why Rafa stuck with it and it's become his preferred formation with the current proper players that we've got um Obviously, he's, he's come to probably that conclusion by the fact that probably our strongest position is centre back. We've got we've got a lot of good centre backs. I would count Clark in that as well, which I wouldn't have probably last season, if I'm honest. But I think he has shown glimpses of you know, a sound Premier League player this season. Um, just I, th- I think it, you know, just a couple of a couple of reasonable additions to the squad. You know, all all the listeners on you know. No, no Newcastle fans are daft. We all understand this. Rafa's not asking to spend. He said it himself. It it won't take a massive amount to big difference. It's a little bit of investment in playing squad. Will see us challenging top seven. I would suggest top eight, at least. So, um, personally, I, I yeah, I, I think we I think we are a better side than than we were that we finished with the last season, and. Um, you know, keeping Rondon's key, obviously, Rafa is key, it, and it's a huge summer ahead. It's, it almost feels like a crossroads. So, two ways we can either progress with Rafa, or we can get in somebody who's definitely going to be a worse manager than Rafa and carry on without investment. Fortunately, we're only looking downward. Yeah, can't disagree with any of that. Well said. Really quickly, lads, to 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 finish this one up. Um, player of the season, Norman first. Um, I, I would say Fabian Shea, just um, because not only did I think it's unexpected how fantastically well he, he became by the end of it. I think you know he, he start. <clears throat> I think we all perhaps thought, oh, maybe maybe this kid's not cut out for it. Um, but uh, he's just he's just been brilliant. Four goals as well. I mean, we've got a we've got a centre half who can actually score goals, and that's re- that's really important. Um, I definitely share for me. Nice of you. Uh, nice of you. Uh, name mentioned Kieran Clark there as well at the end. Classy Norman. Um, 
Ben? So many potentials. I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to go with Matt Ritchie. Matt Ritchie, yeah. I think I've I've always stuck up for him, even when there was doubt as earlier in the season, Dodzy. Um because he was playing with really well. like the rest <laughs> of the team. He was class. Now nah, I just think he's he's embodied everything, um, the fighting spirit of this team and um his adaptability, he's squeezed into a position that's not he's not what where he's not used to. Um and has still been key in um a lot of the good that's that's come of this team. Um, there's some more obvious sort of names, but I, I think um, Richie's played in every game this season. He's been the one of the, the one mainstay other than Dubravka. Uh, he's played in every game, and I think um, he's he's been at the forefront of of that turn in in form. Rob, yeah, for me it is our number nine, Salman Rondon. Um We haven't done this deliberately. We have all chosen different players. Well, we haven't come to Alex yet, but uh, for me, it is Rondon um, p- purely because I think without him this season, we would have struggled with goals. Nearer to bottom three than we're, what we've seen us finish. So, yeah, Salomon Rondon for me has to be signed. I think they're all reasonable suggestions, and I don't think you can look past Chrissy Natsu. Um, <laughs> <laughs> only joking, as much as I love the little lads. Um, uh, Slash want him replaced by much better, obviously. <laughs> I'll go for... We'll not do this on purpose. I'll go for... And I was always going to go for Ayose Perez. Um, yeah, really close one with, with Rondon. And, and I think Rondon's contribution, like you say, Rob, is like, you know, massive. But just in terms of the joy Perez has given, like Southampton at home was a really, really good day. Like It was a belting day. Um, you look at the you know his contribution in the second half of the season again. Everton at home... Massive, do you know what I mean? It's just like he—he he just seems to be a giver of joy, and I'll—I'll get—and I'll give him—I'll give it to Perez because he just gets so much shit and got so much shit. And the one thing that's probably tipped over Rondon is he scored that goal against Watford. And if we hadn't beaten Watford that day, I'd be really concerned. Like I'd have been really concerned about our ability to turn around. We would have been fine because, like Norman correctly said earlier, thirty-four points keeps you up because Cardiff goal, Cardiff goal difference is so bad. Um, but yeah, Perez for me, because I think that if we can keep the manager and we keep these lads together, I think Perez is capable of playing for Spain and getting up towards that 15, 20 goal mark. Say, really I think he could, he's, if in a better team, so and I include Newcastle with a bit of investment, um, he could be a 20, 20 goal striker because you, you talk about, Norman mentioned there, these first 10 games with who he's playing with and, and the type of team and the form that we're in. Um, he basically minus 10, 10 opportunities from from his final um, total, and you think as as we develop and become a um, better side, and that are going to take games. Into, I mean, remember this is a team, so he scored. He's got it double figures again with a team that doesn't play with the ball, that does their best stuff without the ball. How the hell is he getting that many goals? Like in that team, it's it's ludicrous. Well, absolutely, I'll add to that as well. I think um, any anyone who doubts. How good of a footballer Perez is, those doubts may um, disappear when they see the next side that he signs for. Because there's every chance that this summer, I'm, th- I'm thinking teams like Arsenal, Emery wants you know he wants good value players in to supplement his squad. Um, Pochettino at Spurs, if he stays, doesn't have loads of money. He's got to be very careful with it. Um, Simeone and Atletico Madrid as well. That's- they're losing Griezmann. Perez is an absolute ideal replacement in the sense that Simeone will. Bring him back to Spain, you'll get him for a good amount of money and you'll do a good job. So, you know, you look at 
how good Perez is will be indicated, I think, to anyone who doubts him by the next side that he signs for, unfortunately. I completely agree, Norman. I mean, a Flatco is the one I, I could see him fitting right in because he's he's a Simeone type of player. He's a grafter, puts a hell of a lot of work in, will will work for the team and is a, is a complete team player. And he, he just he seems like the perfect Simeone player. So, as, oh, as you say... Well, bollocks to that because he's still <laughs> <laughs> uh, He's not allowed to leave. He's um, And... Uh, Ah, uh, you're, you're spot on there with what you're saying, and yeah, I mean the old uh, ears, hands in the ears celebration, <laughs> uh, fingers even, <laughs> and uh, you know he should, he should, he needs to like build it next season and just have like ear muscles <laughs> or headphones, old school headphones, just something. Block that, block those booze out, Iose. Okay, we asked the listeners uh, at very short notice to produce a player of the season, and they've gone with Rob's choice of Big Solomon Rondon. 52% of the vote, Shaw got um, 36, Hayden 9, because they're only three I gave. Um, I'm guessing all the rest was for Matt Ritchie then. <laughs> or, um, someone did call Matt Was that Ben Wade? <laughs> yeah. um, quickly, lads, who, who do you think the listeners awarded their player of the season to last year? Ooh, last season? Oh, that's a tough uh, question. I, went back I would say, I would, I would go for Dubravka. Yeah. John Joe Shelby? It was by an absolute 67% landslide, Jamal LaSalle. Wow. Wow. So that tells you how much his stock yeah. is. Dropped. I mean, this time last year, people were up in arms that he wasn't in the, uh, yeah, the World Cup squad. That's true. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Southgate he's, lost he's his number. A, yeah, he's had a tough season, slash, being eclipsed by the two lads playing either side yeah. of him. Well, that's a, I don't think he's had a bad season. He's just, uh, you're right. It's just the. the, the I think his work goes more unnoticed because it's that sort of silent, sort of like. Rafton defensive work, isn't it? He was, he was this season's Rondon. We didn't yeah. win without him. Okay, this has been the True Faith podcast. End of season review. We've got a few more free podcasts coming for you over the next couple of weeks. We did a live event in London with George Colgan and Luke Edwards. Um, there's, a, there's a podcast coming and recording of that. Uh, there's a few other things we've got to put out, but for the rest of the summer, it'll be Patreon only until the start of next season. So please do consider coming across if you want any Cassie United fix over the summer. Uh, while you're around the pool on the plane or just staying in the, the England <laughs> doing your normal job and you listen to podcasts just, yeah. just um, or in prison or, or in prison I don't know whether the, the prison system allows um, podcast downloads I don't, I don't know what the Wi-Fi is like in prison maybe you should try and get back on uh, Radio Newcastle for the, uh, the people in hospitals Radio Newcastle you mean Radio Times whatever it was I can't anyway remember. blast from the past uh, this has been the True Faith Podcast. My thanks to Ben, Rob, and Norman. Uh, speak to you all very soon when we have news of the manager. Stay in, hopefully. Cheers. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.